0: Jurgen Klinsmann, coach of the U.S. national side since 2011, often couldn't select the best possible team because he was obliged to include someone from each franchise. He couldn't take four players from one club, for example, because every franchise contributes to the national budget. They each need to be able to present an international to their own fans. I don't know whether that's still the case, but I do know that it's very restrictive if you're a coach and something that would delay the national side's development by years if it were to continue. That's a quote from Johan Cruyff in his book, My Turn, A Life of Total Football. May Johan rest in peace. So welcome to the Das Champions Football Podcast. Today is September 7th, 2021. And we have quite the pod for you folks today. It's been a whirlwind of a past week or so. This is purely men's national team, U.S. men's national team uh, discussion that's going to be happening. We're going to start out with some more uh, micro stuff, we'll call it, where we're talking about the specific games that have occurred. And then we're going to slowly move into some uh, bigger picture issues as we get going. My buddy Alex is along here with me. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm happy to be
1: talking about this, but I'm not going to lie. It's been what's happened with the U.S. men's national team. I don't know how to say it aside from depressing. It's depressing. It's literally so bad that I I almost actually find myself losing sleep. I mean, I usually lose sleep over work or lose sleep over, you know, the bills that I have to pay. But I, I've i been losing sleep over the U.S. men's national team. So it's actually quite a relief to be here to talk about it.
0: Yeah. Um We'll try to keep this from turning into a complete venting session, though uh, we reserve the right to do that a little bit at least. Uh, it, we're in a really curious time right now. Um, things feel really tumultuous. I mean, everybody thinks halter seat is super hot, and the reason we all think it's super hot is namely the results from the last two games. Uh, there's other stuff going on um, that we'll get into, but first Al, let's start out with that away game in El Salvador. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So tactically, I mean, we're, a lot of this is guys, I'm sorry, but a lot of this is going to end up being shortcomings wise. We don't have a total, total ton of positives. Um, we'll probably try to shake some in here, but yeah, let's get into it, Alex, the the tactics. What are we seeing?
1: Yeah. I mean, the first thing that stood out to me, and I think I texted you guys about two minutes into the game, was like Dest being deployed on the left-hand side and and Anthony Robinson being on the bench. And there are just certain players that you cannot go without in your starting lineup. And, and Dest is one of those talents that's... So elite that he's coveted by Barcelona, he's coveted by Barcelona, Barcelona goes out and signs him and actually deploys a formation specifically so that he can fit in it. And some of it is he a fit for Barcelona, but he is a right wing back. That is his specific position. He is not a right defender. His intention on the field is to get up and, and add bodies into the attack and really create mismatches and be very effective in crossing or running at goal. That's what he does. And when you deploy him at a left back, you lose all that. So that was the first thing that I observed. That and Robinson being on the bench, there's no excuse for Robinson not to be playing and starting every game at left back for us at this point.
0: Yeah, I agree with the Robinson thing. Um, for me, I find the discussion about uh, around the left back position conf- super frustrating because Robinson is by far our best natural left back anybody who tries to make a more nuanced discussion out of this is just, they, they must not be watching him play. There was a reason that this guy was linked with AC Milan. It is, you know, aside from that desk just shouldn't be played over there. It's also a like, why we don't need to play him over there. We have a very viable option. I'm glad we used it in the next game. I'm getting ahead of myself, but like, Let's do that. Let's play the best player for the position in question.
1: Yeah. And a few things to add about Robinson. He is he might be the best athlete on our team straight up. I mean, there's videos of him doing crazy athlete stuff. That's just shits and giggles, but he's an incredible athlete. He's super physical. He's super strong. He's really good uh, offensively. He can really get into space. Um, he's exactly who you want in that role. There's no reason to not play him. And to just be very specific about what I'm looking at when I see that, I almost um, I almost look at that as intentional roster sabotage. That's how bad it is. And I know that might sound aggressive to some people. To others, they're thinking the exact same thing. But when I watch the game and I see death starting at left back, especially with uh, Conrad De La Fuente in front of him, I look at that almost as intentional roster sabotage, but we'll save those thoughts for a little bit later in the pod.
0: Yeah, I am a little bit more hesitant on the, that type of thought, but it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes not to buy in when there's a very little legitimate explanation for some of the decisions that are made. Um, so moving into our, our next talking point on tactics, um, the substitutions these are to me they're they're really they're really odd it, it, so so i think that we are better than el salvador i think we should play like we're better than el salvador i think that if we're not winning when we're going to make substitutions we should be making substitutions to try to go and win the game right and the substitutions that were made are not ones where you're like, okay, yeah, there's some attacking impetus. Let's get out there and do it. They're all... like, If you want to win, you don't bring Acosta on for the winger. You bring another winger on. And I don't care that you don't have any other options. You should have called somebody in when Wea went down.
1: Right. Like, and there's no shortage of people to call in. There are
0: plenty of people to call in. Yeah, so uh, it's just unbelievable to me. We're tied zero zero. 0 We need to go score. You know what we should do is bring in the guy that's known for tackles and interceptions. Acosta is not the guy that's going to be progressing the ball through the midfield. What is going on? Like, do we want to try to win or do we want to play players that, you know, are he's comfortable with or are his favorites or you know, God forbid, I, play somewhere I, other than MLS.
1: I totally agree. Um, there are plenty of players that he could have gone out and chose to be in this team. And Bucio, Tesman, De La Torre, Julian Green—these are all examples of players yeah. that you can bring on that will add a little bit of pep to the step. And I, I think everyone's been asking themselves, why aren't they included? Why haven't they been included? Um, the scapegoat that we've been making, and it's an—it's not a good one. But the excuse that we've been that we've been giving. Greg is, well, maybe he's just trying to find out what the bottom of the barrel looks like on this team. But obviously, when you're in World Cup qualifying and you're missing out on points on the table and you're not winning games against El Salvador, by the way, according to FIFA rankings, which don't matter much, El Salvador is ranked 64th, we're ranked 10th. So I'll let you guys come to your own conclusion on how bad of a tie that is. But the the tr- the fact of the matter is there's players, not only who are on that team that could have come in and, be bet- and would have been better substitutes. But there's players who weren't included in the roster selection, and why they weren't included in the roster is still a, well, to some it's a mystery. To us, we think we have it figured out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were, you know, a few other subs. For me, the general f- pattern that's developing here is when it's time to go and get after the game, Greg is not being decisive in those moments. and. No. He's defaulting to people he knows, and a, I, I'm not sure how you can view uh, De La Fuente being taken off and Acosta being put on as anything other than a defensive substitution. I know, I know that what happened. You know, I know that Aronson moved up into that position and then into De La Fuente's um, yep. vacated position, and Acosta went into the eight. But Acosta in an eight and and Aronson in the 8 we're not going to get the same type of ball progression we needed to go and win like it's it wasn't going to get there and i feel the same way about um namely Jet and Roldan. you got to bring yeah. guys on that are going to make a difference and they didn't make a difference uh, yeah. are we are we playing to tie at that point like and i know there's a lot of talk about oh a good tie away in concacaf no yes in 2002 we're better than that now we have to hold ourselves to higher standards like this isn't your grandpa's team or whatever the saying goes like i'm 100 percent. i'm 100 fucking program and try to be better
1: yeah i'm 100 percent with you and like the no goals is in it's it's showing like a lack of cohesion with these players they're not <laughs> they're not able to play together and it's not because they're incapable players and it's not because they're not threatening players in their club teams they're extremely threatening players in their club teams it's because we're we're deploying them and putting them in really we're putting them in very poor positions to be successful and like one of them that I'll cite immediately is Des and Conrad De La Fuente both played up the left flank you know Dest predominantly hanging back a little bit and De La Fuente going up although they would rotate but the problem is is neither one of them are left-footed and their behaviors and their tactics on the field are almost identical, and it's it's just it's simply a waste of talent to line those two up next to each other. And so a lot of decisions that are like that, and there's no shortage of them. I mean, I can point to probably ten others off the top of my head that are similar to that. But those types of decisions are what's preventing the United States from scoring goals. The players are there, and I mean, this is squarely on the shoulders of Burhalter. I don't. All this stuff about the players not playing up to expectations, that's, I don't take any of that seriously.
0: No, it's apologist BS. Um, this kind of stuff, though, it, it's just so overtly ridiculous. Like, a left back being left-footed makes the field bigger. Dest wanting to come in onto his right all the time, as good as he might be, he makes the field smaller. Yeah and and these this is one one shit like it, it it's just baffling to me that these type of very very poor decisions are not being just absolutely questioned over and over again by you know people with a microphone that are on television, but, yeah, you I know mean, we it, get it, our it, opinions it, about why that doesn't happen
1: well, yeah, in the English Premier League for certain, if teams made these decisions, you would you would see uproar. I mean, you see the way oh, that people dude, are talk,
0: talking, talking about the if they didn't do it in goddamn Texas high school football. The fucking school newspaper would probably go at them harder than Greg gets
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> like it's ridiculous, true. man. It's hundred percent true. So we, we got a lot to cover. Let's move into what happened in the, in the game against Canada. So Canada, I mean, a significantly better team than El Salvador, yeah. although their FIFA ranking doesn't and indicate it. Canada's an incredible significantly team.
0: Significantly better than their FIFA ranking indicates.
1: Yeah. Canada's an incredible team. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, I mean, the game, I guess you could call the game a disappointment. What I was really shocked by was Canada, to me, appeared to be the team that was in control of the game. They appeared to be the threatening team. If I, I texted before the game that I expected Canada to win, and when I was watching the game, they were creating the more dangerous opportunities. They were, they didn't have possession, but they were dictating where the ball went. Yeah,
0: but every time they got the ball, they knew what they were supposed to go and do with it, and they were very effective in executing that plan. Yes, it, it might have something to do with being well coached. That's usually oh. how those type of things occur.
1: By the way, their coach has a a better winning record, a better record with Canada than Burhalter does with the United. Yes, States. Yeah, didn't and they he? both he did some pretty over-run. good
0: success with the uh, Canadian women's, women's team. team? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and they both took over around the same time. And Berhalter's got a way better squad to select from. Hmm.
0: Yeah, but it seems like they, you know, that's what a team looks like is what Canada was doing. It doesn't matter that they only had 21, 22, whatever percent of the possession it was. When they knew what they were doing, they were planning on playing like that, and they executed. Our guys look like they don't know who they're supposed to pass the ball to half the time. And it gets everything gets slow and bogged down. And against a very organized team like Canada, we have to have pace in our movements. We we need to get guys into dangerous positions, move the point of attack quickly, and execute. Right,
1: and that's and that wasn't happening. And that's why you would often see there were moments where um, Leggett would swap almost like swap positions with um, Anthony Robinson. Or drop back and let Christian Pulisic come into the midfield. But when those actions were happening, they were happening because the ball wasn't moving quickly enough, and the people that were responsible for distributing the balls into attacking attacking moments or attacking positions weren't doing it quickly enough. So other players who were more veteran in doing that decided to take the reins. But you saw that happen several times throughout the course of the game, and that happened for a reason.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, it's like I get over, almost like. Inc- Overwhelmingly frustrated with some of this kind of stuff because to me they're we just like are doing things that when you watch especially like European club football week in week out you just go like what in the f- is going on with our team we are not playing how you're supposed to play when you're the dominant team and absolutely some, some of this is personnel some of it is the the formation or whatever um but. Man, our midfield is slow and clunky. We were touching on this a little bit with the El Salvador uh, thing, and I think in general the, this was a better performance for us than the El Salvador one. We seemed to be a little bit more energy in it and a little bit less flat, but I can't remember a very many times where the ball was able to be moved out quickly, say, to... Um, say to Robinson who would was able to establish while well, we had possession good positions up on the left. But by the time we would get the ball over to him, it was opportunity be, to move up was gone. It's gone. And a lot of it was because the ball didn't cycle through midfield quickly enough. The only time that he could get a ball out to him where he would have enough space would be when one of like, namely Brooks was able to play yep. it out there and, and skip the midfield, you know? Yeah. And yes, Canada was extremely organized, and he was always going to have less space. But that quick pacing through the midfield is how te- better teams break down lesser teams. That's right. And we gotta correct it. The personnel that is being display- was displayed or was put out in this game, they are not capable of doing the things that are needed to be done to break down a team that Canada. A bit yeah. of setup like Canada was. Yeah, it's, basically, it's, what that means is
1: Acosta and Laguette, as we've been saying for months now, are not, the, I mean, they're not even roster material. You can make the case for Acosta. And I think, like, if you're crushing a team up to nothing, and you need somebody to hold the fort down for Adams. Acosta is a fantastic candidate for that. MLS players do have their spot on the team, but those guys aren't, obviously, didn't cut the mustard against El Salvador or or Canada. So uh, a little data point for you guys before we jump into a little bit more about what happened and the lack of progression through the midfield. Um, it is not good to dominate possession in a game and not have a much higher net expected goals. If you're, do- if you're dominating possession and you don't have a higher net expected goals, it basically means the other team is letting you do nothing with the ball and they're yeah. totally comfortable and they're waiting to counter, which is exactly what Canada did. The net expected goals between each team were mostly the same, although we had a slightly net, higher net expected goals. But what's not included in that figure were I think the three or four balls that Canada played across the face of our goal that went untouched, and in most cases, only about twenty five percent of those make it yeah. across the face of the goal without somebody putting a body on it. So we no were those only show lucky. up
0: in like expected nail chewing, right? It's right, and,
1: and there's a reason why uh, there's a reason why Ryan and I have no nails on our fingers. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not because we practice good hygiene. <laughs> uh, average uh, hygiene. Yeah. So we were just talking about the, uh, you know, before I went on that rant, we're talking about how play, how we couldn't move the ball through the midfield. And a yeah. lot of that is the formation um, and personnel. And like, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, Ryan, is it that we don't have the midfielders to do this?
0: Man, um I don't know. I, I, I am not one to think, oh, 4-3-3 automatically is not what we should be doing necessarily Uh, in terms of like, oh, 4-3-3 is bad or something. I really am one to take the approach of building from what we have in terms of our players' abilities. Yep. And I think that we have some guys that are capable of playing as a number eight. But also are more of like a number ten, you know, like Geo and and uh Aaronson specifically fit into this category. Right. Um and so Yeah, I I personally think their skill set would be better utilized in a four, two, three, one where we could have more interchange uh between say Polisic, Aronson and Reyna. Um and yeah, I guess maybe without Musa, the four three three doesn't seem as good. I'm more comfortable with a four three three when we get to have Musa and McKinney as the eights. Once we start needing to put somebody else out there, then I start leaning more toward a let's have it be more of another attacking midfielder or winger type uh, out there. Yeah. But I also lean toward that in terms of I want to be dominating these games, having, creating lots of chances. And those guys are amongst our best, most talented players playing in small spaces and counter-pressing and everything. They play at Dortmund and Leipzig and wherever for a, a reason, you know, Juventus, and it's not because yeah. they're like overrated. <laughs> like right. Those guys, those clubs make decisions based upon, you know, wanting to win games, unlike U.S. soccer. Uh, right. So, yeah, I I don't get, oh, no, we shouldn't play 4-3-3, but I do get, like, we need to be putting our best players out there in positions to be able to succeed and produce chances consistently. And there's clearly an issue with the midfield, less about the array and more about um, the personnel and their capabilities.
1: Yeah, I 100 percent agree, and you know this is kind of what I was alluding to when I said, "Do we have the people to do it?" Um, there were many players that would have fit the shoe for this type of job, and and I was shocked we're not included. And in, many of which you have not, De La Torre and yeah, and yeah. Green. Ha- when have they? When was the last time they've been included in the roster?
0: Uh, De La Torre, I believe, was included in the Nations League squad, but he like said he didn't want to go onto the Gold Cup and. Because he wanted to go back with his club, and I think that really hurt him. And Greg's holding it against him. Uh, you could you can argue whether or not Bailatori himself made the incorrect decision here in terms of like not putting himself out there for the national team for that tournament. But I am I'm just baffled that Berhalter looks at like the body of work that that guy puts together in the Dutch league and goes, Nah, you know what, Acosta is definitely a better option. Like it, it, it's. Or or uh, not Acosta because I, I think Leggett and him compete more, but Leggett's definitely a better option given what Leggett's done in the MLS recently. I guess right,
1: like right, it makes no sense. And then you know if you're not if you're not looking at De La Torre and you're not looking at Julian Green, I don't think I don't I can't remember the last time Julian Green was in the team, but he basically yeah brought and his that, team to the Bundesliga more. Well,
0: or and less. he plays all the time, and he plays in the exact type of, type of capacity that we're talking about lacking. You know, it's. It's that link and that quick ball movement and that looking to get forward, not trying to play overly safe, as Leggett is very clearly and objectively guilty of Max Brentos.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Um Tasman and Bucio are two other guys that could have made it. But this is yeah. besides this is besides the point. Let's keep going on and what happened in the Canada game. We've we've beat the formation and personnel into the ground. The first substitute comes on in the eighty third minute, and I don't know how else to say this other than when you're doing that, you're conditionally showing me that you don't understand how to coach. I don't know how else to say it. With yeah. five substitutes, I,
0: there's no... No, It's, dude, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I really think even somebody with like, basic knowledge of soccer would be freaking out at that point. Because it's, it's, it's almost less of a soccer-specific thing and more of a, like, like an urgency sports thing. Like, yeah. oh, we're supposed to win. It's 1-1. We need to do something because we're supposed to win. Let's not – we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. Like, is, was he fried? Was Burhalter just like analysis paralysis, couldn't figure out what to do and just wasted a bunch of valuable time? Like, what in the hell even happened?
1: I have no idea. Um, what should have happened is – that we talked about this. Sargent should have come on in the – like, condi- conditionally the next striker comes on in the 60th minute. That's almost always what happens in the EPL games.
0: Yeah, and and we were talking about this earlier off off air, but like my take on that type of thing is that like you want to keep the energy level up in that position especially when you're playing against a team like Canada where we're trying to like wear down their center defense, they're they're playing really defensive. We want to continue to create more opportunities and like put them under consistent pressure. A really good way to do that is to keep the energy level high, especially on the guy that's supposed to be your your not primary goal scorer necessarily, um, but like a big threat all the time. And we know that Josh Sargent from last Bundesliga season was one of the top players for sprints and pressures and all kinds of uh, you know physical statistics that are make him a really good player to bring on in these situations. And I know Greg's into like the counter pressing high pressure stuff. So it's, it's odd to me that he doesn't, he, he doesn't want to make that type of change sooner. The other changes are like, we need to go win this fucking game, do something, put somebody on there. That's going to do something. Yeah. we, We didn't, we did nothing and we tied.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wonder if it's a good point, a good time to transition into history because like when I look at these, uh, I texted, uh, you know, our group of friends as the game went, I think it was like two minutes into the game and I saw Costa and, and Leggett were starting and I was like, these guys are going to go the full 90. Um, And, you know, Ryan, is there anything else you want to cover in, U- in US versus uh, Canada before we jump into the history of all this?
0: No, I think the main like takeaway for me here is that like Craig is doing things that are very, very clearly the wrong thing to do yes, and they're not and it's not like you have to be an expert at soccer to know that they're the wrong thing to do they are they are like basic like wrong decisions
1: yeah, and um that's a super concerning thing because viewers. Like us, shouldn't be able to watch the game from afar and find conditionally incorrect things that are taught at a, at a fairly elementary level. Yeah. Point them out. It's, a, yeah. it's an extremely concerning thing. Yeah. So um, there's some history we want to get into, and all this leads to something. And so I think like th- this is a good starting spot. There's an agreement in place between Soccer United Marketing, some, and U.S. Soccer, and the contract is void in 2022, but it's still under effect today. And basically what it is is um u s um soccer united marketing is a, is the mar- is a marketing arm of u s soccer and it's managed by all the owners of MLs clubs and what it basically means is more or less u s soccer is managed and the decisions that they make and everything that they do that's market facing is managed by the owners of MLs clubs. so there's a vested interest in the financial health of MLS teams uh, based on the actions of U.S. soccer. And that's an incredibly – I don't i don't know how to say it other than it's an unfair position for our players to be in, but it's a very uh, unsettling thing to know. So if you want to do some research, look up Soccer United Marketing and their relationship with U.S. soccer. It's really yeah. good to get that ironed out. But, you know, this brings us to, like, how are we in this spot? Like, why the hell is Burhalter coaching this team? And I want to give you guys a little context on who Greg Burhalter is. And, and now that you know, you know – how U.S. soccer is interfacing with these MLS teams, and, and maybe, may, maybe that's presenting a little bit of a reason why Acosta and Leggett are consistently in the lineup. And the answer is because there's financial interests. Who is Burhalter? Well, Greg Burhalter was coaching a second division Swedish team, um, and he coached them for two seasons, and he was terminated in 2013. And his biggest problem was he couldn't generate offense. One of the things that people look at to determine whether or not a coach is a good coach, and a lot of this has variables based on how good of a team you're working with, is what are your points per game, right? So a loss is zero points, a tie is one point, a win is three points. Burhalter averaged 1.52 points per game in a second division Swedish team. That's below average. Average is 1.55. So he moves over to the Columbus crew. He coaches for five seasons. His win percentage drops off to 1.43. And then he's appointed to be the U.S. men's national team coach. It makes no sense.
0: Yeah, and what resume is this? It's not that a good deserves that. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think a lot of people were bitching about his hire at the time that it occurred. Um, but you know, the the chickens are really coming, or the whatever the fucking saying is, the roosters are coming home to. You know, this is yep. like this is what we this is what we got three years ago.
1: Yeah, the chickens but will come home to roost. This is yeah.
0: this is what we got. We got a guy that in the second division of the Sweden. Sweden yep, couldn't cut it. He coached the Columbus Crew. Five seasons, one point four three points per game is not great. They didn't. He didn't win any championships. So did he play a progressive style of play for MLS? Yeah, kinda, I guess. But it's just the the typical counter pressing style that's been getting. Demonstrated all over the place. It's not like he's some great innovator. Um, it's it's incredibly frustrating with this kind of stuff. The guy doesn't deserve a job, straight up. His buddy's Ernie Stewart. He got it because he's and I, I see your point, your other point down here on the plan, Stein. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess we can transition into that though. But you know, they're really good friends. I mean, I was, dude. I liked these guys in 2002 when they were doing awesome shit in the world cup and i was staying up all night watching those games it felt fucking great you know but like it doesn't mean that they're good for running u.s soccer or that they're somehow not what seems to be the pattern here is like in it to do Mm. stuff for the mls because why would you hire this guy if it was about winning he's not good at winning he hasn't demonstrated that as a coach yeah (laughs)
1: yeah. And, you know, back to your comment on Ernie Stewart, who's the guy who hired him. Um, Ernie Stewart, there's a video of him, I think, from like 2019, and he talks about the revenue model of U.S. soccer. And he, he basically talks about how it's got many components and many variables. And I think what I would encourage the, the listeners at home to realize is that there are interests beyond winning the United States winning games, and that's becoming a problem and uh, he's very clear about that in his interview and a little history on ernie ernie managed the philadelphia union until about 2015 and look at what the philadelphia union has become since 2015. um so you know there's basically a whole bunch of incompetency and special interests that exist in u.s soccer and the mls and it's no. it's why you see what you're seeing on the field today so um i think in summary You know, the development of the active players and coaches has exceeded the competency of U.S. soccer and our coach in our coaching staff. Mm -hmm. And there's a quota for MLS players on the national team. The interesting thing about having an MLS quota for players on the national team, which is egregious to begin with and destroy. And you've brought this up, Ryan. There is no meritocracy when you when you have got when you've got a personnel quota like that. But there is no quota for international players on the MLS teams. So you can only have so many European players on your national team, but you can have an infinite amount of international players on your MLS team. So they're not playing by the same rules that they're asking the U S soccer team to play under. And by the way, why do they have Ryan? Why do you think they have a whole bunch of international players from Venezuela and Ecuador on their teams?
0: Probably because they care. They think their target market is Spanish speakers. Yeah. Um, Which is, which is fair enough, but those aren't the people you know for MLS they can make the type of decisions that they want to make to benefit MLS and even if it their decisions aren't intended to benefit US soccer that's all good and well but this relationship between USSF the marketing it, it needs to go away and it, it obviously it's going to go away by the end of 2022 but we're still living underneath it and i think it's fair to look at some of the decisions that are made especially relating to mls players that don't seem to cut the mustard being included over and over again and and go wait so are we sure this doesn't have anything to do with some wanting to get its its cut and getting its fingers in the pie Uh, and i personally would feel a lot more comfortable if these type of relationships were did not exist i agree I, i I think we're going to get to this more later on in terms of like what we can do as a U.S. fan base. But this is something that as a U.S. fan base, we should not be standing for. It's it's clear, clear corruption that can happen through these type of things. And it's as soon as it's not about putting the best team out there possible and trying to win, then something is wrong. Something's tilted. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're not rewarding those who try to try to win anymore. We're trying to figure out how we can make the most money for the people who have interests in this. And it's. So,
1: so that's what's So that's what's going on. So why is there a poor roster selection? Well, it's because you can only have. So you, you have to have a certain amount of MLS players. Yeah. I, I would well, venture to guess those MLS players are being selected from specific markets. They're not the most competent MLS players.
0: I think we do need to be fair, though. We don't know for sure that there is a, you know, that quote from the from the um, Johann Cruyff book is. He even did say in it, "I don't know if it's like this any longer." Right. But as far as he was told by and his discussions with Jürgen, it looks like that is what was going on, and it's kind of this like where there's smoke, there's fire type of thing, you know? Like, we don't know, we haven't seen like the sheet that says you must have this many players from MLS. But the roster selection would indicate that people are being chosen on things other than their merit. And MLS players are the ones that seem to be benefiting over and over when merit doesn't, merit is lacking. Yeah, It it coincides perfectly with a marketing interest from a company owned by MLS, <laughs> like absolutely.
1: So this is where things kind of get interesting, and, and I want to transition a little bit to what's happening with Weston McKinney. All right. So let's talk about the Weston situation. I mean, Ryan,
0: give me the give me the rundown of the situation. Ten thousand well, we, foot over. We don't know, right? That's like, right. Well, we that's don't kind know. Of a- <laughs> uh, apparently, some sort of breach in COVID protocol, but the details are conspicuously lacking. There doesn't seem to be any urgency to give detail to try to uh, calm everybody down. That's just going to be going bananas with, you know, why is he not included? What, what did he do? Why aren't you telling us? Um, U.S. soccer needs to just, if it isn't that big of a deal and he just broke a rule, then sh- just tweet out the rule. Tweet out what he did. I yeah, think tweet everybody. Tweet out the will, rule and what he did. People may not agree with the rule, but if it's very clear that his actions violated the rule, nobody's going to have any legitimate complaints about it. But to me, it feels like there's a little bit more going on here. Like Landon Donovan doing that shenanigans on a podcast where he's saying, Oh, people told me and it's definitely they're doing being taken care of the right way or whatever, you know, like, like just take my word for it. Like that sort of shit needs to fucking stop because it's super inappropriate. And it's, it's just rumor.
1: Beer. Yeah, it's it's horrible. It's horrible for Weston. It's super unfair to Weston what's going on. But this idea that you can be the judge, you know, judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah, and the details, Without any, aren't any in...
0: fucking information.
1: Yeah, like... the details aren't important. And and the thing that really grinds my gears, per se, about the entire thing is there's videos of Greg Burhalter going for his morning jog through the streets of Nashville. Which, by the way, what a fucking thing! What a stupid thing to do! It's like. You want to go for a jog, try not to do it on the city sidewalks. There's way better places to do it. There's parks, there's whatever. You go in a number of places. People who do that are weird to begin with. But if you're talking about COVID protocols being important and your head coach is running through a city before a game starts, I mean... that's, for me, why I need to see exactly what yeah. the COVID protocol is and understand who does it apply to and how specifically he was
0: in violation. And yeah. I think this ambiguous
1: situation is unfair.
0: If it was that black and white, they would have fucking they would have said something already. It It is reasonable to believe that there is more to it than just what they have said. And I, I think that after we get past tomorrow night, there's going to be some stuff's going to start coming out. I don't know anything, but it, to me, it's a it's another where there's smoke, there's fire kind of a thing, and it wouldn't be that big of a deal for them to just release a statement and say, this is the rule, this is what he did, but they're not doing that. Why aren't they doing that? Did something else happen? It really feels like something else happened. And, yeah, I you think know, something it, else happened. It, it, you don't know if it has to do with the way they're playing, you know, cause there's a lot of disappointment around that too. And we know Weston's a fiery guy. I just would not be that surprised to end up learning that Weston said some shit that Burr Halter really didn't like. And it probably had to do with the way that they play. They've been playing. I but personally we'll see. believe, you know, I that's all speculation.
1: That be, yeah. I personally believe that to be the case too. And I, I think if, I don't know, my position is just, I I'm really disappointed in these players who used to play for the U S men's national team, that are now, you know, I don't think that Landon Donovan actually believes that Weston McKinney did nothing wrong. I don't think that Charlie Davies believes the things that he's saying or Alexi Lalas believes the things that he's saying. I feel like they're compelled to say these things by the organization that's hiring them. And it's just really disappointing to see these guys who are putting on the U.S. jersey not so long ago take the position that they're taking. And as a Fan of soccer and you know, somebody who's been waiting for this moment for you know thirty five forty years it 's incredible to see the interests of this organization kind of take this effect on the players. I feel bad for the players
0: yeah you know? they're those those guys are just you know they're apologists and shills um
1: I don't disagree. So what does the future look like? You know, let's close out with two things. Let's close out on what we expect to happen, Ryan, and then what, what us fans can do. So why don't you take me through what you, you think the future looks
0: like for this soccer team? Uh, all right. Like, are we going to go short term, long term kind of thing here? Yeah, we can go for um, it. Yeah. Uh, short term, man, I don't, it's like all blurry. I, I don't even know. Uh, we're good enough. We should qualify for the World Cup if that's how we're going to take the take the short term. I, I really think that we are that much better and that some of this will start to get straightened out and we're going to get we're going to get a win and it's going to help a lot at some point here soon. Um, long term. I am very excited for the day when uh, we no longer have relationships with marketing companies like this that are clearly skewing our ability to operate as a competitive entity. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a really, it's confusing, man. I don't, I don't even know. Cause it could go at the same time tomorrow night. I might be sobbing over here being like, God damn it. We're not even going to make the world cup, you know?
1: No, I, I think that there's a legitimate possibility that that's going to happen, and um, I don't know how to say this other than like winning or losing somewhat becomes like a cultural thing. Like there are teams yeah. that don't have the talent that um, pull out wins, and there are teams that have all the talent in the world that can't win a game. And if this starts to become the identity of the United States men's national team in short order, then we won't we won't qualify. And I feel crazy saying that, and I do think we will, but if this keeps happening, we won't. What I'm more concerned about is. Um, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I listened to the interviews of Berhalter after each game because I'm, I'm absolutely floored by the decisions that are being made. And I don't say that stuff lightly. I'm, I'm shocked. I cannot believe he's doing the things that he's doing. So I had to listen to the interviews. The dude sounds like a total buffoon, by the way, you should listen to him. He sounds like an idiot, but his solution to the problem is to bring Ariola and Jordan Morris into the team. That's his solution. And that's yeah. like right in line with what the agenda is. And so for me, I think they're going to play out this agenda thing. I think they're going to bring in more MLS talent. Um, you know, even the substitutions that we saw in the El Salvador game was almost like this hero ball thing where it's like, let me prove how poor Dest is and how great Acosta and Leggett can be. And I think there's going to be more of that and I think it will erode at the culture of the team. Eventually the stuff will get sorted out and viewers like you will be talking about it in everyday life and we're going to hold this, you know, US Soccer accountable and it will get better, but what I'm what I'm concerned with is that Players like Eunice Musa decided to join the U.S. men's national team because he had the opportunity to play with the Golden Generation. He wasn't going to play for England. He would have a hard time getting even on the team, probably wouldn't yeah. get on the team, and he probably wouldn't have had minutes. So it's like- God damn, Jadon
0: Sancho can't even get into that team.
1: Right. So it's like, might as well do something special. But if the culture of the United States men's national team is one of corruption, those players won't come over here. But more importantly, the players like Pulisic today and the players like Giovanni Reina, who have dual citizenship, who are- Cap tied to the United States today. Ricardo Pepe is the guy you need to watch out for. Although I don't think he's going to be the one who does this. They're going to make decisions to play for other nations. Yeah. They, until, it, until we get that cultural, you know, that almost um, notorious reputation resolved.
0: Yeah, there was a. It's funny that you're you're bringing this this up in this manner because I saw a tweet today in response to one of the tactical manager's tweets where um, a Mexican fan said something to the effect of. You know, if this was how the Mexicans would have been um, covered, they'd be happy because there's no coverage of it, basically, in the United States. That's right. Like, and this this is the problem, people. We, as a culture, don't care enough about the sport for there to be legitimate pressure put on Berhalter. It's cared about so little, generally speaking, that USSF can get away with hiring people that clearly are not capable for the positions they're being hired for, and nobody's going to say anything to try to stop it. And, and I mean, have you – you guys watch sports, right? You turn on ESPN, right? Have you ever watched highlights on SportsCenter of soccer that don't give you the cringes because they are – it's presented in such a ridiculous manner? Exactly. Like this is the stuff that us as a community can start to improve. We need you we need to learn more about how the game is supposed to be played and express it so that in general all of this is well as ridiculous seeming to as it is to Alex and I right now to to everyone because if we don't have some sort of group consciousness that the that we care about the game and how it should be played and who's doing it in this country, then we're just going to have more of the same because the corrupt officials have nothing to be worried about. They're just going to, it's just going to be the next one down the line. I 100% agree. So like, yeah, I mean, you put it right here, form an educated opinion, learn, you know, we're, we think we know some stuff pretty good, but God, we're not the end all of anything here. Go learn, figure it out. Why are people in the positions they're in? What does a good team do when they're they're supposed to win the game and they need to make substitutes? Absolutely. <laughs> like, you
1: know? Absolutely. I think like, you said that really well. We would encourage our listeners to go out and learn about the game and and form opinions and have have some conviction and demand transparency behind yeah, yeah.
0: the groups that, around you. And that's the thing. It's like when we have a more educated populace of people that care about soccer— you can you will know more what transparency is supposed to look like. You're going to know when something smells funny a little bit more. But we need you need to do it from a point of like learning and understanding, though, not from a from a, you know, running around with your head cut off kind of point of view. Absolutely. Um,
1: so when is the game against Honduras, Ryan? Tomorrow. Tonight,
0: no, tomorrow, nine, nine p.m. Uh, central nine. time, I believe, is the start, though it's CONCACAF, so it always, you know, it'll be like nine fifteen or nine oh five or some shit that it actually ends up starting. It is tomorrow, you're right. Uh, That's another four hours of sleep for me day.
1: Yeah, same here. Um <laughs> so listen, we might Love have to it. take a rain check on the on the Thursday. Uh it will be Thursday will be the day that we're absolutely white because we'll get two hours, three hours of sleep. And it's probably better that we don't deliver a podcast in an absolutely irate state, assuming that we're going to be there. So it, it maybe expect something from us Thursday or Friday, but in the yeah. short term, thanks for listening. This has been a subject that I think we've been wanting to get off our chest for a while. Um, Ryan, any closing words for our fans at home?
0: Um, just keep, uh, you know, keep rooting for the team. You know, the, don't let frustration over how the team is managed detract from your willingness to support the team as it is the national team. Um, I love that. You know, we got to, we want to win. That's right. We want to win no matter who's the coach. We think we can win more with a different coach and maybe different players, but we still want to win.
1: Well said gang. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy your Wednesday and uh, be good.